we've driven any creativity and autonomy out of our students. Like they're nice, happy little workers, employees, whatever we want to call it, though they don't really do that very well either at the moment. And we don't let them pursue what they want to pursue. Welcome to The Fi Show, where you get a behind-the-scenes look into financial independence. Here's your host, Cody and Justin. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of The Fi Show. But I could not be doing this thing by myself, so let's check in with my awesome co-host, Justin. What's up, man? Well, since I've got the van pretty much finished, things are getting really, uh, you know, slow and boring here in quarantine land. This weekend, we just basically watched a ton of movies, did a bunch of food prep for the week. But the one fun thing we did was we had some friends meet us over in a park and had a nice socially distanced beer and enjoyed some sunshine on Sunday. But how about you? Same thing. It's been the same thing pretty much every single week. I'm doing my daily jogs. I'm playing board games and drinking some beers in the weekends with my buddies, hanging out with my girlfriend. But Nothing too much in terms of things I'm doing, no traveling, nothing like that. Hopefully in the near future, our Tuesday updates will be a little bit more exciting. But for now, let's talk about what we have that is exciting, and that's our episode today. But before we dive into that, let's take a quick pause for our partner. Keeping track of your net worth is one of the most important things you can do on your journey to financial independence. If you don't have an idea of what your net worth is, there's no way that you can keep your quote-unquote score. One of our favorite tools to keep this score is called Personal Capital. If you haven't already started using it, it's an online software that basically compiles all of your data, it crunches all your assets, all your liabilities, and spits out a net worth number and allows you to track it day by day, month by month. Yeah, Cody, one of the big things that hold people back when they're doing activities like tracking their expenses or tracking their net worth is just they look at it as a big burden. And this allows you to go in with one username and one password and access as many financial accounts as you have. These can be loans, these can be 401ks, these can be HSAs, bank accounts, credit cards. They're all linked there. The other thing I really like about personal capital is it's very investing focused. So you can go in there and look at your allocation across your entire portfolio. So you don't just look at your allocation in one type of account, but your allocation as a person completely. And if you want to use the same tool that me and Cody use to track our net worth, which is completely free, you can do so at thefyshow.com slash PC. That's thefyshow.com slash PC. So our star of the show today is Rob Phelan, and he spent his first 10 years of life in the States, moved over to Ireland for 10 years. So he kind of has a different background where you can see how money is handled in two different countries. He's always been obsessed with entrepreneurship figuring out how you can make money from a lean startup model, basically making a business without investing a bunch of capital up front. He becomes a teacher, and now he's been teaching kids these same lessons, and he actually recently published a book, a workbook, called The Simple Startup, but we're not going to take away all his thunder. Take it away, Rob. There were so many times where like the opportunity knocked and I just completely missed the call. Like I, you know, should have picked up on it so much earlier. I had so many great influences in my life that were not really trying to hammer home the message, but certainly like if I had seen it and opened that door, I probably could have gotten this a lot earlier. I really started diving into my finances about two years ago, just after my wife got and I got married, and I was also tasked with teaching this financial literacy class. So kind of two big things came together and that was the spark for like, all right, you kind of got to get yourself in gear here, start learning this stuff. And you know, I've just dove in from there. So obviously there's going to be a really big gap between, you know, growing up and at that point, can you walk us through a little bit about what it was like growing up? Like, did you get any of these lessons in the household? I didn't get like, 
hey, Rob, you should do this with your money or you're going to be poor or like this is how you build wealth. It was kind of more different things that my parents did that kind of helped lead by example. I was always encouraged from a young age to save. I was very fortunate. The elementary school I was in in Ireland had like a junior savers program where like the local bank actually came into the school and set up a mini branch in the school. So like kids got to run it and every week you could take your money, deposit it, get your little book signed that you had increased your balance by this amount. And I just, I love seeing the number go up. Like I love games. Like, so gaming for me was a a fun thing. And this was sort of gaming the system that like, you just see your number go up and up and up. And really the concept of money wasn't quite there yet. So that was kind of like a nice habit that was built in before I even really knew about it. And then I would say my dad is quite good at being a negotiator, a bargain hunter, doesn't like to pay full price or anything that he thinks he can negotiate down. And that was one of those kind of nice lessons that I've picked up as well. Not in an irritating kind of way, but certainly if there's a deal to be had somewhere, I will find it. So something when I first met you, Rob, that struck me was you were born in Ireland and your accent is pretty much just non-existent. So what age did you move from your Irish home? And then kind of going back to Justin's question, are there things that are different about the Irish culture when you compare that to American culture? Is it there less consumer debt? Is there more of a focus on frugality and the deals and all the stuff you were just talking about? So just to correct one small thing on that, born in the US. Oh, okay. So born in Long Island, my parents are from Ireland. They moved over to the US when they were 20. So about kind of what I did, they moved over to the US, said, you know, we'll try this out for a couple of years. Me and my siblings were all born in the US. And then at 10 years old, I moved back to Ireland with them. So then grew up in Ireland until I was 21, 22, somewhere in there. And then I moved back to the States again. <laughs> okay. So I got I got to kind of experience a little bit of both growing up, which kind of explains the accent thing. Like I do have an accent when I go home and when I get on the phone with my family, it'll come out. But I don't know. I think it's from working with kids so much. I spent a summer over in Texas and I think the kids just struggled to understand me so much that I just flattened it and got really good at adapting to wherever I was. But digging into Cody's question a little bit. So you, even though you weren't born in Ireland, you do have some interactions with both cultures. Is there anything interesting that you've seen around money and the way we see that and the way we treat that that's different in Ireland versus the United States? I would say I don't see this drive for FI in Ireland at all. And I'm not sure exactly why. I think the pension system is still pretty strong there. I think that's probably the main reason that you know, you're still kind of taken care of. There is a pension that people pay into. It's enough to be kind of just comfortable on when you hit that retirement age. Like there's no real drive desire to stop working earlier or build up your own net worth because you want to have a more luxurious lifestyle when you retire. It's okay. And the lifestyle is just a little bit slower. It's just a little bit more easygoing. We love to work hard in the US and we love to get that reward for that work. And it's something I really admire about being in the US. It's the place where hard work can equal more success. And I don't know if you kind of get that in Ireland sometimes. Sometimes it's kind of like, you know, the the system's there to take care of you and just do your bit and it'll all be fine. It'll be grand. Something I noticed about a lot of European countries in Australia, I lived there for six months, is that it seems like the systems are set up where people, there aren't these huge poverty gaps. Like the amount of money that people make, even working at McDonald's, sometimes can satisfy and sustain a family. I don't know if that might be the difference maker or what. Again, I definitely don't have much of experience with Ireland, but I just always thought that was an interesting thing. Like people don't want to go after FI because their jobs are already pretty comfortable. They already have flexible work-life balance. They already have all these things that people are striving after in the United States because regular jobs just suck so much in so many different industries. (laughs) Yeah, and it's... 
I guess I didn't notice that gap growing up. And I don't know if that's just my own privilege or if, like you said, it maybe isn't as drastic as it might be in the U.S. You know, I've worked minimum wage jobs in the in Ireland and it was it was an OK income. Your minimum wage is fine. I think the cost of living might be a little bit lower than it is here, especially when you compare certain wages. Like so I know a teacher salary in Ireland is significantly lower than it is here when you talk about like a numerical figure. But the cost of living is also cheaper in a lot of different ways. So I think it kind of balances out. And yeah, I think it's just, it's enough to be comfortable with. You don't get uncomfortable enough that you make that, you know, that pivot point where you're like, all right, this sucks. Let's find this FI idea and get going. So throughout the interview, you've mentioned, you know, kids and teaching a couple of times. So how did you get into that kind of profession? What drove you to be a teacher? All the wrong reasons. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was in my senior year of high school. I was really undecided about what I wanted to do. I applied to three different college programs. So I had a scholarship to go to Mercyhurst College to do sports medicine. So I had one option in the US. I had an architecture thing set up in the UK. And then I said, you know what? I like being outdoors. I like working with kids for the most part. So you know what? I'll throw down teaching as well. And just that's the one I ended up going down. And it was, you know, for the wrong reasons at the time, I was like, you know, I like being outdoors. June, July, August sounds like a great time. And it turned out to be like the best decision I ever made because I realized when I started that A, phys ed teachers don't get employed very much. So they make you do a second subject when you take phys ed as your main major. So I ended up doing math as well, realized I actually love being a math classroom teacher. And it just kind of all those things sort of fell into place and it it resulted with where I am right now, which is something I'm very happy about and grateful for. So just to get back to the timeline a bit, so you mentioned you moved to Ireland when you were 10, you moved back to the States when you were 20. When was this first teaching job? So I finished my undergrad in Ireland. It was just after the recession. You know, Ireland felt it just as much. And there was a hiring freeze in the public sector. So very few teachers getting hired. They were pretty much replacing all the people who were already in the system. So most of my graduating class left or they did something that wasn't teaching. And you know, some went to England, some went to Australia, a lot went to like the United Arab Emirates. And I settled on going back to the US mostly because I had a passport. I didn't need a visa to do that. And I took a job with a soccer company based out of Boston, Massachusetts. So they are global premier soccer and they basically hire coaches from Ireland, England, Scotland, Wales, kind of mainland Europe as well. And you come over, you work full time for them. You can do something in the office. So like I was a director of marketing for you know, about six months, which I don't know how I ended up in that role, but, you know, teacher became director of marketing and then also you coach in the evenings. So you're pretty much doing like a full-time gig, get put up with host families. Like it's a fun thing to do for a few months, couple of years. And that led me to getting placed in Rochester, New York for a couple of months. And when I was there, I realized that there was this thing called a graduate assistantship and one just kind of luckily fell into my lap and I was able to start doing a graduate assistant position to get my master's degree. So I had another two years before I actually started teaching. And that was when I moved down to Maryland. So that's where I currently reside with my wife. And I started teaching about six years ago. So we've got the timeline up to the point where you meet your wife and you talk about that being kind of a point where you start discovering financial independence. So was it something that she was already going after or would it just happen to be that time when you started discovering financial independence? She was much better with money than I was when we got into our relationship her dad, you know, taught her really well about saving, putting money away for retirement, just managing money a little bit better. She had been living at home at the time. So she was like banking tons of money from like her jobs. She was working a lot of hours. Um, she's a psychotherapist. So kind of she can dictate, you know, the, the more hours she works, the more money she makes. 
and was just, you know, came into the relationship with more money, more knowledge, just kind of more life experience, if you will, about like how the world works in terms of money. And I didn't like that imbalance at all. I like things to be balanced in our relationship. So that was another kind of driving force behind, all right, if we get married, I really kind of got to get a hold of this money thing and start contributing a bit to our household. So all those things kind of came together. New job position came up where I was teaching personal finance, this thing with my wife, and we're like, okay, I want to balance this out. So that's when I really just deep dived in, found Dave Ramsey. was like, I'm getting rid of this little bit of student loan debt I have. We're going to pay off both our cars. She had some student loan debt as well. And within like 12 months, we hammered out probably about 20 grand worth of debt. So it was, you know, we went, we went in deep and fast. And when we got to the end of that, we started looking for more, like kind of like most people, you've reached the end of the Dave Ramsey paying off debt. And you're kind of like, oh, it's just invest more and have fun. And I kind of wanted more. So I started looking for other podcasts. And that's when I started coming across things like Choose FI, Afford Anything, Stacking Benjamins. Those were the podcasts that really I gravitated towards. So that's awesome. First of all, hats off to you and your wife for paying down all that debt. But I know something we're kind of glazing over in your story a bit. I know you mentioned you didn't get serious about FI or like managing your personal finances until 2016. But a big part of your story is entrepreneurship and building businesses. And I know back in the day, if I'm not mistaken, in high school, you had your first foray into entrepreneurship. And could you just talk about that and how you fell in love with entrepreneurship? Oh my gosh, we got to go back in time again. Okay. So yeah, <laughs> we're back in high school in Ireland. There is this really cool idea. It's called transition year. So when you get to the end of ninth grade, so school systems are always split into two levels there. You have elementary and you have secondary. So you do up to sixth grade and elementary, and then you switch over to secondary school. So you change buildings, you know, things kind of get into a bigger building, all the smaller schools come together and you do another six years in secondary school. So at the end of your third year, so ninth grade equivalent, you take a set of exams. So you, you, know, you do your big tests and you realize you know, what kind of levels you're going to go on to, what subjects you're going to take when you complete high school. But they also say to you, hey, do you want to take a gap year? And you, know, you offer this to most high school students. They're like, hell yeah, I want to take a gap year. You mean there's going to be no tests, no real like, classes that you have to worry about. And it's all about self-development. So it's called transition year. It's this you know, really cool idea. I wish we had it here in the US. And basically every teacher kind of gets to do what they want in terms of the curriculum. So like the English teacher kind of gets to explore what they want to do. So we read different types of novels. We started a school newspaper, our phys ed teacher, you know, we went kayaking, we went surfing. Like we just did things that you would never do in a normal phys ed class. And then our business teacher, he said, you know what? You guys are going to start your own businesses. That's what we're going to do. This whole semester is going to be about you guys coming up with an idea, getting it off the ground and actually doing it. So rather than just the kind of, oh, we're going to do a business plan, this like, you know, nice hypothetical business. It was like, no, actually you're going to start it and you're going to do it. And that is just a life-changing experience when you think of my timeline. And it's what really influenced me now in terms of like the pedestal I put entrepreneurship on when it comes to Phi Journey. A lot of times what's holding somebody back from starting a business is some kind of startup cost. And I'm just interested because you're in high school how did that work? Like, where did you get the capital to start this business up with? So he never said in these words, but he basically was teaching us the lean startup model where you start it for as low as possible, zero being the ideal. So you look at what skills you currently have, what resources are already available to you, either at home or in school, what does not require a large amount of capital to get started. So you, when we were brainstorming ideas, it was kind of like, you know, what, what are you excited about? And then what is really easy to get up off the ground? And that's what he wanted us to focus on. And you hear Alan Donegan kind of pretty much say the same thing. If you've ever heard him talk about pop-up business school, 
Like, what is it you really, you're really passionate about? And then what can you start right now? And then start doing it. Like, so he was kind of teaching the same idea as Alan, which I didn't realize at the time, but I've kind of taken a hybrid of what he does, what Alan does and other things that I've read and come across when I started creating my own curriculum for entrepreneurship in the classroom. And that's what was the birth of The Simple Startup, which is the book that I wrote this past year about how to start a, you know, a simple startup, your first business. So before we move ahead too far, and then we're definitely going to talk about The Simple Startup because you did some amazing work with that workbook. Is So what was this first business? I know our listeners would kill us if you didn't talk about that and if we didn't ask. Oh, I started Apple. No. <laughs> <laughs> it was this really simple cookies, brownies, like baked goods, like secret from me. I'm a bit of a baker. I like to bake. So my friends were not really doing anything. They were like, ah, we don't have a good business idea. I'm like, well, I've got one. I want some help. Come on board with me and you know, help make some cookies, brownies. So they were really good at, you know, getting ingredients, coming up with, you know, some of the more basic stuff in terms of recipes. And yeah, we produced cookies, brownies. We brought them into school probably twice a week. We got an hour for lunch. So we were able to sell for about 40 minutes of our lunch period. And we came out, I'd say, with about 500 euros profit. So yeah, for high schoolers, you know, it was pretty good. And, you know, it was just a great experience to be able to do that. Like it wasn't super complicated. It didn't take much money to get started. Like I think we probably put like 20 euros in each to get ingredients. Like most of us had the baking utensils, things you need at home. And then we started kind of growing the business organically. So once we had a little bit of profit, we invested in uh, really dorky aprons that had our logo across them. Um, <laughs> and then we got a little stall for ourselves. So I paid a, a friend of mine who was into woodworking to like craft us this like little stall. And like they turned our logo into this big sign that was equally dorky. So it, it was, it was really fun. And then it all culminated with a school business fair. So all the mini companies that had been created were in the high school gym and there was judges coming around asking questions about, you know, the product or service that you came up with. And it was, it was kind of like you got to present your business plan. It was you know, a really fun, memorable event. So after having that experience, but you mentioned you don't have that in the United States. And so as you've come back here and you've started teaching kids and you don't have that gap year to work with, you don't have quite as much freedom as those teachers had. How have you incorporated that lesson into teaching your own kids? Are you guys familiar with Don Wetrick? I've heard of him. Yeah. So I listened to an episode with Don Wetrick and he kind of voiced this idea about a innovation time. He does this in his own school where basically he listened to a damn pig TED talk that was talking about you know, what really motivates people. They want autonomy, mastery, and purpose. So those are the three kind of key driving forces. And he's like, you know what? Education is not really doing that for kids at the moment. So what he did was he said, all right, we're going to cut down the academic time to 80% of the time kids are in school. And we're going to take about 20% of the time for kids to go pursue passions, whatever it is they want to pursue. And I listened to that and I was like, oh my gosh, that is exactly what I want to do in my school. Like if you follow that idea that, you know, the task will fit into the time that you give it, it should be possible to take a math class, for example, and do it in four days instead of five, and then take that fifth day and actually make it a kind of an innovation time. That's my goal. I haven't gotten there yet. But that's my goal. What I've done in the meantime is I've done passion projects. So I'll ask my kids, you know, what's something that you've always wanted to learn about or a skill that you've always wanted to learn? And They'll think about it for a second. They'll come up with something like, oh, you know, I want to record on YouTube or I want to learn to do a kickflip on a skateboard or I want to master this video game, whatever it is. And then I'll look at them and I'll be like, well, why haven't you done it yet? And they'll stop. They'll stare at you. They'll be look, they'll look kind of like puzzled. 
really cute. And they'll be like, well, you didn't tell us to do that. And it's so sad that we've just driven this kind of, we've driven any creativity and autonomy out of our students. Like they're nice, happy little workers, employees, whatever we want to call it, though they don't really do that very well either at the moment. And we don't let them pursue what they want to pursue. So I give them this project. I say, you got you know two weeks, three weeks a month, whatever it is. And I want you to pick one of those things that you listed, go learn how to do it or learn about it, and then decide how you're going to show whether you've achieved mastery of that or not. So they have to come up with their own skill. They have to teach themselves how to do it. So through online learning, books, magazines, whatever it is. So it's just not from me. They can go find another physical teacher if they want, but it's not going to be from me. And then they have to decide, well, what's the rubric of how I'm going to measure my success? And then they have to present what they did, either through a video, poster, performance, taste testing, if they want to learn to cook something, like whatever it is. There's been a lot of different products come out of that. What is the most astounding business or idea that someone's actually gone ahead and implemented? One of the kids who, he did do the kickflip. He did start the YouTube channel. He did something you're like, wow, I'm pretty blown away by this. I There's one of the ones that I want to learn how to do. And it's like how to change the oil in my car. I'm like, okay, this just seems like this like far away skill that I just need to sit down and learn how to do someday. And just seeing like your average kid doesn't know anything about cars starting off. Like, oh yeah, I just, I learned how to change the oil in my car. And they do a video of themselves doing it. And they turn it into an instructional video. So they basically made a YouTube video of how to change the oil on a car. So really, I have no excuse anymore for not being able to do it. And like, I love seeing stuff like that. Kids who will say, you know, I love this particular meal at Olive Garden. And they learn how to recreate that at home. Like, I think that's an awesome skill. Like, you know, they're like, well, now I don't need to go to Olive Garden to eat that. I can make it at home just as good. So that's the kind of stuff I love seeing. It's not like something that really blows me away, but it's just, I like seeing kids overstep what's you know, they're being asked to do. So like they go above and beyond and they really enjoy it. And I think those are going to be the future entrepreneurs of society, by the way, like they're the kids who are like, yeah, give me, give me space. And I'm going to, I'm going to fill it with something. They're the millionaires, man. Yeah. So then to go back to what you were talking about, like Cody and I, for you listeners out there, we first met because I approached Cody and I asked him to fork out some like sponsorship stuff for another crazy idea I had where I wanted kids to sort of go on a scavenger hunt of different FI content. So I was like, you know, Cody, what would you be willing to put up if kids read like three of your blog articles or they read two books and listened to a podcast? Like we were trying to come up with different levels and ideas. And Cody to his friends was all about this. Like he was like, yeah, absolutely sign me up. I didn't end up being able to make that one happen. It just wasn't feasible. It wasn't structured right. But I was able to get Cody to come and talk to my students, my club. So this is called the Millionaire's Club. And he was able to share like his experience through entrepreneurship and pursuing FI. So thanks for that, Cody. That was really, that was really cool. And the kids still talk about it to this day, I will say. Sweet, man. That's awesome. And then I got to rope you back in again when you were on your tour with Grant. Absolutely. It's always a pleasure. (laughs) The gift that keeps giving. I love it. But yeah, to answer your question, the Millionaire's Club is a club for kids who are interested in learning more about their finances and building wealth. So we do a little bit of the financial literacy content, but it's mostly like conversations, ideas, A cool thing about it is the club has to be self-funded. So they're not allowed to fundraise. They have to create their own businesses and products to actually fund the club. So every year we have to sit down and be like, okay, what's our business going to be this year, guys? And this year they're going to run concessions for baseball and softball who do not have any concessions and haven't for years. And they finally just said to our athletic director, look, you're not doing this. Nobody else is doing it. Let us do it. And to be fair, our athletic director was like, okay, fine, you guys can do it. So they get to keep 100% of the profits, whichever kids, or sorry, the club gets 90% of the profits, the kids get 10. So whichever kids work it, they get to keep it. Kids get to make money as well as fund the club, which I think they're all about. They love it. 
So I have to imagine all these lessons that you're learning while working with these kids have helped culminate in this book, this simple startup. And we've been kind of dancing around it a good bit in the episode, but I think it's time to kind of jump in and tackle that, like what the exact inspiration was and what you hope that someone who reads it will get out of it. So the simple startup was, yeah, the culmination of all the different lessons I learned about entrepreneurship in one spot. I couldn't find a resource that helped guide students through it. I was pretty much coming up with all that myself on the fly. And I was like, okay, I need to stop doing that. I need to put this down on paper, create structure around it. And it just, it was started off just being like a big resource for myself. And then it got to like 60 pages or so. And I was like, you know what? This is something other teachers could use. And at that point I was like, okay, I think I've got a workbook here. Never thought I would write a book. Like I was not your like English student growing up. You know, I like to read for the most part. I kind of go through phases of the reading, but like writing a book, no, that was never going to be me. And getting over that limiting belief was like a big life moment for me as well. That I'm like, all right, all it takes is an idea and a little bit of research or knowledge. And then you know, there are people out there who will polish it for you. And that's, you know, our, my editor and publisher have been amazing at doing that. So they've turned you know, a rusty kind of, you know, rough little document into this beautiful workbook that, you know, has blown me away with like how nice it looks, how professional it looks and how accessible it is for kids. Yeah, man, I was actually blown away. So you mailed them. I was at my mom's address. So I just forgot to give you my new address in Boston. And she got these two books, The Simple Startup, The Instructor's Guide, and The Student Workbook. And she's like, what books are these? These look so cool. And I was like, oh, it's my friend Rob. Like, he just came out with these books. They look absolutely amazing. And something you just mentioned there was it's a workbook. It's not the life of Rob and all the lessons you've learned. It's not a narrative. It's super interactive. And I feel like that's something you've been pressing a lot is like being hands-on is one of the best ways to learn. So could you talk a little bit more about like the actual ins and outs of the workbook? Are these page by page students are filled them out with a pencil? Is it a bunch of charts and graphs? Do they go on to certain websites? Could you just give us a little bit of a general overview? So it is essentially a how-to guide for getting that first simple startup off the ground. So you're a student and you're like, you know what? I'd love to start a business, but I just don't know how. And I don't have a teacher around who can do it. So, you know, some of the books out there, like if they're just novels, like they're a little bit too dense for that first business, particularly for that age group. And there was nothing there for kids that you know, would really help them. You know, they might be able to find something on YouTube, but again, they'd have to like assemble information from tons of different places. So this was like the collection of that information. So you should be able to put this in the hand of any teen. And I say teen because it goes all the way down to 13 in terms of like kids are well able to handle this. And a kid can go through it and they learn about the different aspects of a business in easy to understand language. And then as well as that, it takes them through the steps of how to start their business. So you start at the beginning with your idea. Like, how do you develop an idea? Where do you spot pain points in society? Like, what do people want? What do people need? What frustrates you on a daily basis? And then what might a solution to that look like? And that's that kind of entrepreneurship muscle. I think I've heard you talk about that as well on different podcasts. You know, you got to start learning to flex that muscle where you start seeing the problems in everyday life. And then you start thinking about, okay, what would a solution to that look like? So we start going through that and the worksheets are kind of helping kids guide those thoughts. So there's some probing questions. There are some like fill in the blank stuff. Like what are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? What do you like to do? What do other people ask you for help with? Like those are some of the kind of early easy ones. And then you move forward into, okay, well, which idea are you going to go with? So what's the easy to start idea and what are you passionate about? Let's start, let's pick that one moving forward. What is it going to look like? So you do a business snapshot. And this is just not a business plan, like just a one page document of who are the key players that you need to talk to. So like who is going to provide your products, who's going to buy them from you, how much are you going to charge? Who do you need to like talk to in terms of like getting permission to do things? How are you potentially going to market this? Like just all those crazy ideas you have in the beginning, get them down on paper. 
And then you start kind of fine tuning as you go. You start there though. You start selling your idea. You start seeing, are people interested in this? So you move into market research. Like what do people really want? Or who is the market that's going to want my particular product? So you can kind of approach it one of two ways. And then you go into like your marketing plan, how you're going to sell it. So the advertising plan, and then what are the finances of your business like? So I want to make sure kids are learning how to manage a budget. So this is a great way to learn about budgeting if you're just talking about it through the lens of a business. And then you know, what is the break-even point? How do you calculate that? So not a huge amount of math. Like it's a very basic formula where you would be able to plug in your numbers and then see how it works, but certainly applicable to a math class. And then it finishes off with how do you how do you pitch it to like a potential investor or a judge? So like if there is this culminating event at the end, what does an elevator pitch for your idea look like? So if you have to describe your idea in 30 seconds, how would you do it? That's such a cool idea, such an awesome idea, something that I definitely wish you know, that I would have had a teacher who would have had a resource like that when I was growing up. I'm just curious because I know that understanding how businesses work, getting your hands dirty with entrepreneurship is such a great way into getting your own personal finances in order beyond just the business finances. Have you seen that be like a kind of a secondary outcome when kids go through this book that they start looking at finances on a broader sense in more detail than outside of this business they're trying to start? I think it's one of those light bulb moments where kids realize that they can create income out of nothing. So like that limiting belief that we have that, oh, you're, you're limited to the income that your job provides you. So like a lot of my kids, you know, they have a part-time job of some sort and like, well, my income is fixed. Like I can't really make it any higher. Like they won't give me a raise. I'm only like a minimum wage worker. And then when they start doing this project, they're a little hesitant at first. Like, you know, I don't have time for this. I got my part-time job to go to. And then you start realizing, well, wait, 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 I can make more than 10, $11 an hour doing this. Like, because there's no limit to it. And that's the beauty of entrepreneurship. And when you see that kind of moment come, like it's not every kid. Some kids are like, you know, this is cool. I learned some stuff about managing budgets and finances and you know, learning to sell is probably a cool skill. Like entrepreneurship, not really for me, but for the ones who really do grab onto it and they're like, whoa, this is like a key to earning as much money as I want, or I get to be my own boss. Like all the kind of cool things that come with being an entrepreneur, like that's really awesome to see and super rewarding for a teacher. And I think even not only on the income side, even though I'm fascinated with like the, like you just said, creating money from thin air side of entrepreneurship, being able to run a business, like it's really easy going back to your baking example. If you buy the ingredients for 50 cents and then you sell the baked good for two bucks and you know, like you're getting 150 profit and like you understand the expenses, you understand the income. But for some reason, 99.9% of people don't treat their personal finances like that. Like they don't even understand that they're getting into the red by whether it be going to college or taking out that car loan or the credit card debt. Like there's so many instances in real life where you can take some of these, like I'll call them like a balanced checkbook example, like you would need in an entrepreneurial business. And I think that's like an, that's a secondary, another awesome secondary benefit. Justin, going back to that original question. Rob, what is your ultimate goal? Like, how can we best help you to implement this? Is this mostly aimed at teachers? Is this something that a parent could hand to their 15-year-old daughter or son? Could you just give us an idea of how you want the Simple Startup implemented? When I started, I thought it was going to be just for high school students. I was like, okay, this is the this is the market that I'm working in. This is what I needed as a teacher. So I figured it would be other teachers like me who would want it. But what I realized through kind of sending it out to different people to read, proofread, you know, just friends who have kind of like yourself, who've gotten a copy because they contributed to the book. I'm realizing that a lot of adults are saying to me, look, this works for me too. Can I like, can I use this? And yeah, it, it's really for the person who wants to try that first business. So like, they're not really ready to throw a bunch of money into it. 
They're not sure if this is really going to be for them. They want to start flexing that muscle a little bit and see what it looks like. This is this is where you start. Like this is your very basic, most you know, simple startup you can have. And then, you know, if you finish that, you can either keep going with that business or you can graduate onto something bigger, better. You know, maybe that's when Gold City would step in and be like, you know, hey, we got these <laughs> cor- these courses you can do. See, I got you back. And then, yeah, I've I've seen some parents who are asking, can I do this with my homeschool kid? Or, you know, I have a son, daughter at home. Would this work for them? The younger they go, the more parental support they probably need. But it really would just be a case of, hey, like, you know, what does this word mean? Or how do I do this? Or can I get a ride somewhere because I need to like go sell to this person? Like that's kind of what happens the younger you get. And I think there is really like, there isn't really a young limit to it. Like you could take a seven, eight year old and they could start a lemonade stand super easy. Did you ever do that as a kid? I did do a lemonade stand. I had a hot chocolate stand. <laughs> oh, even, even better. Hey, you live in Massachusetts. You want to eat Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, like if you said, okay, you've got that idea, like that's something any kid could start and do, but like, if you applied the workbook to it, now there's a lot of lessons that could come with that very basic business idea. And all it takes is a parent to be like standing in the background, just kind of keeping an eye on things, making sure no one burns their hands on the hot chocolate. And you know, no one's sticking their finger in to like take samples of it. <laughs> and they let them learn through experience. You like the joy of it is that you get to step back and let kids explore and learn as they do it. So yeah, to answer your question, I think anybody pretty much could pick this up if it's their first business and they want to get started. So Rob, I got to ask, because you've obviously got this big passion for people starting these businesses, but since your bakery business, have you yourself actually started any more businesses? What do you currently have going on? So I've dabbled in a couple of different things. When I really started getting to this FI idea, that's kind of when I started calling back on those memories of, okay, you know, you can do entrepreneurship, you can start these businesses. You start listening to these financial independence podcasts and you start realizing that a lot of people in the FI space have side hustles, other incomes. So I was like, okay, I really got to get back into this again. And yeah, I started like a tutoring company. I refereed lacrosse on the side. The Millionaire's Club had a stipend attached to it, which I didn't realize when I started, but it actually ended up being a nice surprise. Coaching soccer at my school was another way to increase my income. So I was looking for ways to increase income. And you know, I, I like to dabble in different things. If something doesn't work, I kind of shut it down again. So I tried my hand at blogging. It wasn't for me. And I guess I don't have, not the discipline for it, but I just don't have the passion for it. I'm not excited by it enough to carry it through. So I knew I needed to just pull the plug on that one. Whereas this, like you can kind of hear my voice, like I'm still super passionate about it. And I struggle with that imposter syndrome as well of like, well, I haven't started a Microsoft or an Apple or something like that. Like, who am I to talk about entrepreneurship to kids? And I realized that, you know, this is kind of what most podcasters, most teachers do. Like you're not necessarily the expert in the room. A lot of us are crowdsourcing our information. We're doing research, we're finding it, and then we're collecting it. We're putting it in a way that it's easy to understand. And that's really where my skill set is. I can take information from a lot of different sources, potentially written in a way that's a little more complex for the average reader. And I can say, okay, here's the key ideas here. Here's what it looks like for someone doing a simple startup. And I can put it in a way that's sequential. It runs nice and smooth. It looks nice. The questions are structured in a way that it's very clear what I'm asking. So like the teacher skills that really helped me create an effective workbook. All right, man. Well, this has been a ton of fun. Super glad we finally got you on the podcast because like you mentioned, we've been connected for a couple of years. We've done a bunch of cool things together. But if people want to hear more about you, they want to learn about the simple startup and know what it's all about. Where are some of the best places where they can do both of those things? All right. So if you have anything you want to email me about, like particular questions, or you want to get this into your school, best way to reach me is rob at choosefi.com. You can find out more about the simple startup at thesimplestartup.com. 
I'm all over Facebook under Rob Phelan, and I'm on Twitter under Phi Educator. And then The Simple Startup itself, you can find that on Amazon. You can find it on Barnes & Noble. Awesome. Well, thank you, Rob, for all those different links and places where people can find you. We'll definitely link those up in the show notes. But the one question that we always ask our guests is, for somebody on this path to financial dependence, what is your number one tangible tip they could take? I think I have to go with the obvious one here. Like, It's got to be like find some way to increase your income, but ideally do it in a way where you are following something you're passionate about. Like it shouldn't just be another job. Like nobody needs another job. Find something that lights you up a little bit that you can also make money from and let that be your side hustle. And you never know, it could turn into your main hustle, but just start something. Love that, man. All right. And so the most important question of the podcast, we got the wild card question. I did not prepare. Justin definitely didn't prepare. So Rob, you're not prepared at all, but are you ready? I'm ready. So you have a history. You lived in Ireland for 10 years. I can imagine you were a big football, what we call soccer fan. Is that correct? Oh, man. Oh, I know you are. (laughs) You were playing a camp. Oh, I know. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And I know the games get absolutely crazy there. So I'm going outside of the box because we've asked a bunch of questions about entrepreneurship. Can you talk about a crazy experience going to one of these soccer or football games as they call them in Ireland? I remember when I was playing soccer, I was playing in a like city league while I was in college. So I went to college in a different city to where I was from. And there was like a local soccer league, started playing in that. And I just remember turning up to games and, you know, there would be like 20 police cars there because, you know, something had just gone down right beforehand. Like you're playing on grass fields that like have glass in them and stuff like that. Like it was just like real like grassroots soccer <laughs> that you know you hear about like the best footballers coming from didn't turn me into an amazing superstar but you know it was it was a cool experience at the same time you got to play with some really like tough guys and you got to learn a lot from it as well Well, rob thank you so much for coming on the show i think it's so admirable what you're doing trying to get this message out to kids as well as empower other people to teach kids it's just such an important skill and i think we do definitely have a lot that we can learn from other countries and the styles that they teach their kids so i appreciate you bringing some of that ingenuity back and and just helping spread that message so thanks rob Thank you guys so much for having me. And thank you guys for what you do as well. Like you are teaching everyone out there at the same time. So go teachers. Alrighty, Cody, I know a lot of times, you know, we've had people on and we'll ask them how they're specifically teaching their own children. But this was a cool episode because this is how Rob has brought a lot of these unique learnings that he brought from his upbringing in Ireland and been able to bring that into the education system here where he's teaching in a public environment and bringing a lot of these both business and financial literacy type education to these kids. And I think it's really awesome. But what do you think about the episode? Yeah, I absolutely love it. Like Rob said in the episode, when he hit me up originally and was saying, hey, I'm going to have these kids read a bunch of financial independence articles, or I'm going to have these kids start up their own businesses. That's something we hear so much, Justin, in the FI community. We have guests on who are like, if only I learned about FI when I was 15 years old. And now Rob is teaching 15-year-olds about financial independence, about entrepreneurship, about how money works. And I think that's just so, so important. He even has his club, the Millionaires Club, that are going out and actually starting these own businesses. And they're getting to keep a percentage of the profits, which is super cool. Because I know for me, making that first dollar in entrepreneurship and realizing that, hey, I don't have to have this dishwasher job to get a paycheck. I can actually go and build this little business on my own, even if it's selling baked goods, even if it's just some little thing on the side. Those side hustle dollars just feel so great. And I think my favorite part about this episode is those unique things that he was able to pull from his education in Ireland over to the United States. Because I think a lot of times us that live here in the United States, we have this 
fallacy that the way we do things must be the best way to do it. But you see a lot of these unique ways that these other countries give like these freedoms to their students and allow them to make some moves that are a little less structured and the power that can come from that. So like when he was in school, he had this opportunity to take this kind of gap year where instead of having these normal rigid classes, his teachers were able to give him a lot of flexibility. And to the student, it sounded really enticing because it kind of sounds like at first, like, oh, well, I don't have to do as much. But in reality, he learned more in that year than he would in any other super structured year. And he was able to kind of take control of it and start that first business and see what that looks like. And those are lessons that stuck with him forever. And a lot of countries do cool stuff like that. I hope it also highlights, you know, where people can look to these other countries, things that they're doing and try to ask for that change to come into their own school systems. And if they if they can't get it there to at least bring it into their own home. And so just diving into the simple startup a little bit, because I actually had the chance to dig through the pages and see how it was structured. And it's super interactive. That's what I really liked about this. It wasn't a parable. It wasn't some abstract story about someone starting a business like you're filling out worksheets you're filling out idea generations. And like Rob said, he takes you through the entire process from thinking of an idea to figuring out how you're going to monetize that idea to actually putting the business in place to then making money with that business. So I think it's such an awesome tool for anyone, really. He created it at first for teachers, but this could be for a parent to hand to their 12-year-old son or daughter. This could be for an aunt and uncle to give as a Christmas present. I think there's so many practical uses for this. And I know, Rob, this guy poured his heart and soul into this book. He spent hundreds and hundreds of hours, went through hundreds and hundreds of revisions. I know he partnered with the Choose Five Publishing Company. So we had people helping him over there, like our friend MK. And he went through such a rigorous process to what came out to such an awesome product. And now it's time for the call to action. So the call to action this week, Cody, is if people listening, if they've got like a younger person in their sphere of influence that they can encourage to just try like a small project or try to start with these small businesses, then maybe they can help like push and guide them to that experience. And if not, they could try to do kind of a self-inspection exercise where they consider starting up a trial run of a business that they might be into, especially one of these like Rob was talking about that have an extremely low startup cost, just to see if it's something you would actually like to take further before diving too deep into. Awesome call to action, Justin. Love when we inspire the youth to take action and start their own journey to financial independence. And if you guys enjoyed this episode, you want to dive into the show notes, you want to get a link to Rob's book, The Simple Startup, and anything else we talked about today, you can do that at thefyshow.com slash Rob. And as always, if you want to check out our Facebook group page, you can do so at thefyshow.com slash community. And we always appreciate those five-star reviews. They help us get great guests like we had today. And if you're interested in supporting The Fi Show, you can do so by checking out some of our partners over at the resources page, which can be found at thefyshow.com slash resources. And thanks for listening.